time, our children can be dismissed to our children's worship time, right out the back there. The rest of you, I'll just invite you to open your Bibles or turn in your devices to Hebrews chapter 13. And as you're doing that, I have one more announcement that I wanted to make, but I wanted to save it for during the sermon time uh, because it's going to affect the sermon time. Next week, you need to come to church. I mean, you need to come to church every week, okay? Unless you're out of town or something. But, uh, but you need to be here next week. And you need to call up everybody you know that you don't see sitting around you and tell them to get here next week. All right? I want, I want to pack the place for next week. All right? So next week we have a special guest preacher. I will be here with you. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to still be here. Uh, the following week, uh, on the 27th, Thanksgiving weekend, Tim Bivens will be here and I'll be out of town. But I'm going to be here next week. On the 20th, Pastor Greg McGee from North Road, North Road Church in Harvester, so North Road Harvester in St. Louis, is going to be here to share a message with you. Now, Pastor Greg was my college roommate for two years. So he has even more interesting stories about me than you may have heard. But that's not why he's coming, okay? Uh, I've been telling him about our church for the last couple of years, and he's been really encouraging uh, to me about everything that's gone on with our church and the different changes and things we've, we've been doing, trying to set ourselves up to really reach our community. And he wants to come. He actually offered this. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I, this is kind of, kind of like inviting yourself to dinner kind of thing. But he said, if you'd be willing, I'd love to come and share the story of our church as an encouragement to your church. And, uh, so that's what he's going to do. He's going to be here and share the story of North Road Harvester. And it's going to be an incredibly encouraging time for you. And I don't want you to miss it. Um, I want you to reach out to, like I said, reach out. Anybody you don't see here, encourage them to be here. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and it's going to be an encouraging time. And please be praying for Greg and for our hearts to be encouraged by the message next week. I will tell you his church, uh, look, Numbers do not tell a, whole, a full story, okay? It, numbers can be very empty things, and I don't want to steal from him next week telling the story, but when uh, that church um, was a dying church of about 40 people and declining, and uh, North Road Church in Moscow Mills said, we want to start a new location, so they came in there. They brought Greg in as their church planter, campus pastor, and the people started praying. The people that started praying about God sending them more people. And God sending them uh, just just more people that they would reach more people that they would reach families. Um, that was four years ago, I think. Um, and I think last week they had 380 people in the in church. And so, and and the point is, people are being discipled. People are coming to know Jesus. And so that church actually is being rolled off into its own autonomous campus. It's not going to or autonomous church. It's not going to be a campus. It's going to be a church. And um, he just thought that their story might be encouraging for you. So he's got a lot of cool things to talk about with that. I want you to come and hear him, okay? Um, I think it'll be encouraging for your heart um, and your soul and also for our church. All right, that's, my, that's the end of the commercial. Come hear my college roommate talk. Okay. I'm sure that's not how he wants to be identified for the rest of his life as Cal's college roommate, okay? Uh, but anyway... Um, and he and Roxanne got married the same year we did, and, uh, uh-huh. 
maybe a week before. Anyway, so I don't, Rox, and they've got, they've got five or six kids, so Roxanne's not going to be able to be here with him this time, but anyway, uh, come here, Greg. So that's enough about that. I love history. I don't know if you know this about me. I love history. In fact, church history. In fact, some of you know I have a a podcast with some other pastors called the Pastor Discussions Podcast. I've actually thought about starting my own podcast about church history because I love history and and in particular church history so much. I especially love, though, church history, yes, but also anything in history dealing with like the military, like military maneuvers, special operations, especially Navy SEAL missions and things like that. And so the other day, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole you ever done this? You know the YouTube rabbit hole or the YouTube wormhole, as it were? You know, you, uh, you watch a video about something you're interested in, and when it ends, you've got a list of suggested videos, right? And so then you click on one of those because it looks interesting. Next thing you know, it's an hour later, and you're watching a video of a guy making a mud hut with his pet squirrel in Aruba. Lately, though, I've been watching some interviews about the raid, Neptune, Operation Neptune Spear, which was a Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, went in, and they went in and eliminated Osama bin Laden. And in one of those videos, this Navy SEAL lays out the process for them getting ready to go on the mission. And before troops go on a mission, there's a briefing where the commanding officer sits down, sits down with them, or actually he stands yeah, generally, and lays out the final information that applies to their mission. There might be info about troop movements, exfiltration, possible trouble spots, and making sure everyone has all the info they need to get out and come home safe with a mission accomplished. Our passage this morning is the final section of the book of Hebrews. And we understand that it's this letter originally delivered probably as a sermon or as a written sermon And this final section might seem a bit disjointed or bullet-pointed to us, but to the original hearers, it would have made perfect sense. It it might have been similar to one of those last-minute briefings before heading out on a mission that I was talking about. They would have understood exactly what he was talking about. They would have understood why he was wrapping it up, why he was giving this last information that they would need before heading out. He was wrapping up his whole communication to them, and putting a bow on this theme of the book of Hebrews, which we've said all along is Jesus is better. And the initial audience was comprised of Hebrew Christians who lived in a culture that was pressuring them and persecuting them. And, and he had been encouraging them to hold on to their faith, to persevere in their faith against the pressure and temptation amid their suffering because the new covenant in Jesus' blood was so much more superior than the old covenant. To greatly simplify it, Jesus is better and so they should live like it. Jesus is better, so you should live like it and so should we. We should live like Jesus actually is better than all that other stuff that the world has to offer. Let's read what the Lord has said in his word. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 7, and we're going to read all the way to the end of verse 25. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good, with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand for our hearts uh, to be open and obey. Lord God, as we come to this time of hearing your word proclaimed. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. That you would pour your word into them. That we would understand clearly. That we would obey without delay. Would you be big here, Jesus? May I decrease and you increase and change our hearts because we speak in your word. I thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My goal here this morning is to walk you through this author's final instructions what they were, and for us to see how our lives should be different in these same ways because of Jesus being superior. Therefore, we should watch our life and our doctrine closely. Our beliefs and our lives should match the way of Christ. And God has given us the gift of leaders in the church to help us do this. And that brings us to point number one of the passage, which is remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. We see it in verse 7. First off, he tells us, tells them to remember your leaders. These are local church leaders. Okay? It's not the guy that you watch on YouTube. Okay? 
unless you're also watching me on YouTube, I guess. But uh, anyway, it's the, it's the local, your local church leaders. These could potentially be leaders because he uses the word remember, not honor, right? He says, remember, these could potentially be leaders who were not with them now because they had been imprisoned or had been martyred. But either way, they are to remember those leaders and specifically those who spoke to them the word of God. Now, in context of this letter, we can deduce that he likely means those who taught them the gospel. But when we broaden it out, which I think it's okay to do in this case, when we broaden it out, it would refer to leaders who taught them the whole of scripture. This is leaders who gave them doctrinal instruction. Remember those who taught you the things of God, not those who spoke eloquently, doesn't say that. Not those who had a big following, doesn't say that. Not those who were pretty or good looking or funny, no. He says, remember those who spoke the word of God to them. The primary role of pastors, the primary role of a pastor is to preach and teach God's word. That's why the sermon is central in our services. Because it's the primary role of pastors is to preach and teach God's word. And our lives should reflect what they teach. He's calling them to look back at these leaders who had taught them the word of God and to consider the outcome of their way of life. Do you, do you ever do this? Have you ever looked up to someone as a spiritual leader who taught you the word of God? Maybe someone you grew up with, a pastor, or someone you knew in a church as you were younger? ever looked up to someone who's a spiritual leader that taught you the word of God and you thought, you looked at their life and you're like, I want my life to look like theirs. He says to imitate their faith. Your actions in life, the, the things you have done in your life are perfectly designed to get you to where you are right now. The things that we've done up to this point in our life are perfectly designed to get us to where we are right now. So if we see faith in the life of a person who taught us the word, let's look at their life. Let's imitate what we see. This is not to put them on a pedestal or expect them to be perfect. They're still sinners saved by grace in Jesus. And most of us would probably say that we want to live lives of faith, faithful obedience to Christ. Like if I asked any of you in here, do you want to be faithfully obedient to Christ? Most of you would say, yes, I do. We see it in the lives of those who've gone before us. But for some reason, we don't think we need to do things the way they did them. Then we're surprised when we look up and we aren't farther along. I don't want to beleaguer the point or get us off the rails with this because we could go off the rails with this. But I think it's important that we consider those leaders who've taught us the word of God and consider their lives. And if their lives are still faithful, imitate that faith. I think of a pastor I grew up who was my home pastor. And he wasn't perfect. There's stuff he did that I wouldn't do. But he's still faithful this many years later. And still ministering the gospel to people, even though he's retired. He's still preaching the gospel. I heard him at a funeral I was at a few weeks back. So we look at the outcome of their way of life and imitate that faith. It's also kind of in that is a charge to make sure you got good leaders. You want to make sure they're biblically qualified leaders who are leading you. 
We're going to come back to the topic of leaders because the author mentions them again back in verse 17. So we'll come back to that. But number two, so we're supposed to remember our leaders. Number two, in verses 8 and 9, we find to remember Christ. Remember Christ. Remember that Jesus is the same always, yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. So, because of that, all teaching that we receive should be judged according to the gospel. Because it doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. When something is taught, we should see if it lines up with the word of God. The message, Jesus, his message never changes. And to help in this... The author warns, he warns them about getting led away by what he calls diverse and strange teachings in verse 9. Now, based on the rest of the verse, this was probably directly referring to some teaching going around about food related to the Jewish Mosaic law. This was law and rules. The heart should be strengthened by grace. Nothing outside the gospel will work at strengthening the heart. So don't play around with false teachings. Whatever these teachings were, they contradicted the theology of the gospel. And he warns them that these teachings will lead them astray. So too often, what I find, I found this a ton in uh, working with teenagers for so many years, right? But it's true even for adults. Too often Christians will continue to play around with false teachings because they like something about the person who is teaching that thing, or they like the music that's affiliated with it. Let me, let me illustrate what that is like. Imagine this. You're at your favorite restaurant. Okay? It's, you guys love McDonald's. It's got to be a place with a waiter. Okay? In this illustration, I don't care if McDonald's is your favorite restaurant, although I would question the health of that, but... So you're at your favorite restaurant. You had your favorite meal. And after the meal, they offer you dessert. You order your favorite dessert. Let's say your favorite dessert is chocolate lava cake. You know this cake that looks like a little bunt cake? And when you cut into it, there's just chocolate goo that pours out? I'm getting hungry. And with this chocolate lava cake, you order a nice, big, ice-cold glass of milk. And as the waiter brings your dessert and your milk to the table, he sets it down. And then he sneezes right into your glass of milk. Now, would you say to him, it's okay, I'll be fine, and just drink it up? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. You would send it back because there's something in there that isn't milk. It's not pure milk anymore. Friends, we see some teaching, when we see a teaching that either adds to or takes away from the message of the gospel, we need to send it back. Don't play around with it because it will lead you astray. Too many have started to mess around with strange teachings in the last few years. We've seen a lot of our young people uh, in, in our culture who have been led astray, led away from the faith by messing around with strange teachings. They call it deconstruction. And the problem is it tears down, but it also tears away most of the time. So don't be led away. The way to not be led away is to focus on the one who is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
the Lord Jesus the Christ. We move on through the passage. We get to verses 10, 10 through 14. And we have this idea of going outside the camp. Going outside the camp. So I want to encourage you to go outside the camp to the cross. See, Christ was crucified outside the gate. The place where they discarded the animal bodies from the sacrifices was also, guess where? Outside the camp. They'd take them out there to burn them. Going to Jesus outside the camp is speaking metaphorically. It's leaving behind the love of the world. It's leaving behind your desire to gain the world's approval. And instead, it's embracing the reproach of Christ. Embracing that reproach of Christ outside the gate. It's to emulate the way that Jesus responded to his shameful suffering. It's emulating the way Jesus responded to that suffering. The world is temporary. And those of us who are in Christ live here but for a brief moment in history as we make our way to our eternal home with Christ in heaven. And we should remember this. And because Jesus is better, we should leave behind the world and run to Jesus. As I was writing this, I I thought, I wonder what it is in your life that you need to walk away from because it's of the world and embrace the reproach of Jesus outside the camp instead. He gave his life on the cross in your place for your sin and for all of your sin. Not just that sin, but all of your sin. Would you repent of your sin and go to him believing the gospel today? Walking away from the world and what the world counts as wonderful and praiseworthy and honorable and embrace the reproach of Jesus outside the, outside the camp. Moving on in verses 15 through 16. We see this exhortation to offer a sacrifice of praise. So we should offer a sacrifice of praise in appreciation of Jesus' sacrifice outside the camp on our behalf for our sin. The Greek word, because I know you were just dying to learn some Greek today, the Greek word that's translated sacrifice is the word thusia. And it refers to that which is sacrificially offered up to God. In this case, it's verbal praise of God's name. We should be giving God all the praise he is due. A bunch of people are going to gather at Dixon High School later this afternoon at about 6.30, and they're going to offer up verbal praise to God. But if we look at verse 16, we also see that we are to be active in doing good works and sharing with one another, and that these are also sacrifices that please God. And there's a connection that I want to make. Philippians 4.18 says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we do good to one another... It is a sacrifice pleasing to God. And I might add that when we do something in the name of God for someone else, they may also turn and offer a praise, a sacrifice of praise to God themselves because of us offering that sacrifice through doing good and sharing with one another. 
when we follow the commands of God, I think this is a great principle. When we follow the commands of God and live our lives obediently, he gets praised. He gets the glory. That sounds like another verse that I've read before, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we do good to one another, God gets the glory. And it's a sacrifice, a praise to God. Number five, as we continue to walk through this lengthy passage, this one's a little uh, awkward for me to say as your leader. (laughs) It's obey and submit to your leaders. Verse 17, obey and submit to your leaders because they keep watch over you and are accountable to God for the care of Christian souls. Friends, This verse haunts me as a pastor. This verse haunts me. And there are two points. I I could talk for a long time on it, but there's two points that I want to draw out here. Number one, submitting to your spiritual leaders benefits you. Submitting to your spiritual leaders benefits you. Obviously, this is not to say that you should do anything that your spiritual leader wants you to do if it goes against the word of God or if it's, you know, illegal or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But submitting to your spiritual leaders benefits you. They are to care for your souls. I am not here. I am not here to run an organization. I'm not a CEO. That, that's not the calling of a pastor. I'm not here to run an organization, but to care for Christian souls. The shepherd shepherds the flock. That's what a shepherd does. They shepherd a flock. And you benefit from it by growing in the Lord, receiving teaching, care, and being equipped to minister to others. So in the verse, in verse 17, the encouragement is to make it a joy for your leaders and not a burden. Friends, I've been in some churches where it was a burden. It was a burden. I have stories. I'm not going to tell them now. But I've been in some, I've been in some churches where it felt like more of a burden than a joy. You know, the four-page letter that slid under your door when you get back from vacation, you know. Handwritten, mind you. So make it a joy and not a burden for them. Secondly, this part... This next part's the part that really haunts me about this verse. Pastors, elders, okay? Use that interchangeably in scripture. Pastors, elders will be held accountable before God for how they've cared for your souls. Whenever someone just disappears, or I as a pastor don't feel like I've contacted someone enough, this verse is always in the back of my mind. And for anyone who would read the first part of this verse and thinks, well, what if the leader I submit that I'm supposed to submit to does bad stuff or they don't handle me well or they're spiritually abusive? Well, the second part deals with that. See, the spiritual leader has someone higher than you to hold us accountable for how we serve you. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't hold your leaders accountable. They should be held accountable, which is why we favor a plurality of elders. But 
for those who would say, well, this famous guy here was spiritually abusive or there, the Lord will hold him accountable. And whatever (laughs) you've got that you think you ought to do to someone uh, to hold them accountable, uh, I promise you (laughs) that it's it's going to be more uh, sobering when they're held accountable by God. And that's why that verse haunts me, for sure. I could say more, but let's move on. These leaders who are, you're supposed to submit and submit and obey, and who are held accountable to God for the way they lead you, we should be praying for them verses 18 and 19. We should be praying for our leaders. Because you want your leaders to do a good job caring for your souls, because you want them to lead lives of integrity that you can imitate, we should pray for them. And don't stop. As your pastor, I need your prayers. So many days as I prepare the sermon with you in mind, individuals in mind, or when I think about the church and I sit and I plan and I sometimes I'll sit in the office, I'll look out the window and dream about the church and plan. The attacks come, the doubts and the discouragements, they come. So please pray for your spiritual leaders. We need it and God commands it. And again, you will benefit from it. It is actually to your advantage to do these things because you benefit from their ministry. And then we come to the last chunk of scripture, verses 20 through 25, where the author gives final words of blessing, gives a benediction, a blessing over the people, and then some final greetings. I want you to notice something about this. We're going to read that section aloud in just a second. But what I want you to notice is I want you to notice the familiarity and the love that the author has for these Christians that he's writing to. He knew them probably in a pastoral way. Verses 20 through 25 of Hebrews 13 says this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Verses 20 and 21 is where we find what we call a benediction. And this is common in New Testament letters. If you look at the other New Testament letters, you'll find benedictions. The writer invokes God's blessing on them. He refers to him as the God of peace, which is a common way of referring to God. Remember that old song, uh, Romans, uh, Romans, 1619 is it Romans 1619 the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet like that was the thing and then in student ministry we'd always jump when you did that crush Satan it was the jumping anyway it's kind of a 
kind of a, kind of a funny, I don't know if that's the actual verse, but, um, but it's God of peace, right? And we see God of peace. He's referred to as the God of peace. And then it says, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. Jesus was raised by the power of God. And Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the new covenant. See, even in this blessing, he is, in this benediction, he is uh, reinforcing what he's taught them for the last, basically, 12, 13 chapters. 13 chapters at this point, I guess. He recounts the sacrificial work of Jesus. He's blessing them using the doctrines that he just spent the letter explaining. He prays that God would equip them to do his will. The equipping, this is important, but God would equip them. But it wasn't just that God would just, hey, just equip them. We talk about, you know, pastors are to equip the church. This wasn't just some kind of nebulous equipping. This was for a specific thing. The equipping there to receive is for the purpose of them doing the will of God. They weren't just being equipped to throw a party, right? They were being equipped to do the will of God. And then in verses 22 through 25, those verses contain what we refer to as as final greetings, okay? So we're finally at the end of the letter, and he's given them some news about Timothy, about coming to them. It feels a little bit like a Midwest goodbye. You know the Midwest goodbye where you're at somebody's house and you get up from the table and you go to the front door and to say goodbye and then you talk for another 15 minutes. And then they walk out with you to the car so you can get in your car and leave. And then you stand there for another 15 or 20 minutes talking and then you get in your car and then you think of something so you roll down the window and you talk to some again. And like you're an hour after you were gonna leave, you actually left, we call that the Midwest goodbye. My friend uh, Tyler and I were talking about that this week. He's from Minnesota, Minnesota. And uh, he spent some time in Ireland with some pastors. And they would be out at a pub or somewhere. And one of the Irish pastors would just be gone. You know, the whole Irish goodbye thing, right? And he was like, he said it was so weird. Like they just left. (laughs) Instead of the way we do it in the Midwest. But this letter, you know, he gives the benediction and then he gives some news about Timothy. Then he gets final greetings. Then finally grace. It, it just keeps going. He asks them to receive this sermon, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, for their benefit because that's why he wrote it. Look, it contained some stark warnings. There were some dark, stark warnings in this book. But the hope is that they would receive it with love because he sent it with love for their good. And I hope that's how you receive hard sermons when they're preached to you is they're done with love because your leader cares about you. Your pastor cares about you and wants the best for you. And that's why he sent this to them. And he ends with a blessing of grace. Even in his last words, at the very end, he's pushing grace. I know an author who calls himself a grace junkie. And it's only by God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ that we can even start this life of faith. It's only because of Jesus that we can stand before God in righteousness. It's only by the blood of the new covenant. And he, was wrote to, he, he had written to them 
that they not turn away from that blood to some other means. He didn't want them to turn to ritual or to works, but to stand firm on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's the message for us today. Will we stand firm on the grace of God and be equipped to do his will? He's laid it out. He said, look, Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better, here's how we should live our lives. And then he got real practical about some things we should do to live out the truths of this deep doctrine that he had laid out. So the question for us today is, will we stand firm in the grace of God and be equipped to do his will? And as we are equipped to do his will, we'll be obedient to the things he's called us to do individually as individual Christ followers and together as his church. And that's the decision that we each have to make today. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, as we come to this time of, of again, worshiping through song, of, of one final song together, God, I pray that you would continue to move in our hearts, that the message of this final section of Hebrews would just reverberate in our hearts. That God, we would resolve to let nothing come in the way of our relationship with you, of our obedience to your will, of our being equipped to do your will. God, may our lives reflect a deep faith. And Father, when we come to times in our lives where we feel like our faith is weak, where we're struggling, I pray that we would, we would reach out, we would cling tighter to you and not walk away, that we would uh, turn away from any diverse and strange teaching, that we would run to you, that we would seek those in the church who can lift us up, who will direct us and guide us back to you, Jesus. Help our unbelief. We believe, help our unbelief. We pray now as we sing that that our hearts would be awake and alive to your love, to your holiness and justice, to our unworthiness, but to your grace. And that the response of our hearts would constantly be praise sacrifice of praise you would help us understand and know know what to do with these truths that we have heard today and that at the end of the day in our lives you be brought glory and honor and people be brought closer to you because we've done your will that we've been equipped to do thank you God it's in Jesus name I pray Let's sing again.